0: Amen, hallelujah. It's good to be in God's house. Amen, amen. This morning we're going to keep going with Galatians, and I know. uh, Again, I'm just I'm 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 enjoying this book again, and enjoying all of Paul's books again, and uh, we're getting into chapter two, and uh, we said it's a very intense, really intense chapter, and. Uh, I talked about it last week. This this is quite a challenge for translators, chapter 2. It's a real challenge. And uh, there are a lot of sentences that Paul starts because he's so, like, intense right now. There are a lot of sentences he starts but doesn't really finish, you know. And so the translator sometimes, like, you know, they don't know what to do. And again, I said that last week too. You know, sometimes we don't appreciate what a translator has to go through to give us God's word. In English at least, Right? And here the translators, and if you notice, and especially the older versions, and if you have the New American, you'll see some parentheses in there. Actually two big ones, and then some, some, some versions have it in italics. And that's, that's what the translators have added to uh, explain to us okay, what Paul is really get, getting at. And what again, a reminder, this whole book, what is at stake? The gospel is at stake. And Paul keeps defending the gospel that he has preached. And we know he uses the word that he has gospelized them with. I mean, and one of his main arguments as he defends the gospel is what? That the gospel that I preach from you is not from man, but it's from God. And he says how? By revelation of Christ in me. And as I was reading that, I need to say this real quick because... Right from the beginning, you got to realize there's God's truth and the devil's lie. That's right. right from the beginning, the devil has had one agenda to distort God's truth and sell you his lie. And there's this constant battle. You know, please understand, there is definitely more than the just here and now. It's definitely more than the here and now. There is a spiritual battle going on in a spiritual realm that we can't see with our natural eyes. But what happens in that spiritual realm affects us in the natural realm too. And please, we don't overemphasize that and cast our demons everywhere we go. We don't overemphasize that. But let me say this. Let us never make the mistake of underestimating or disregarding or What I've noticed a lot nowadays is trivialize what's happening in the spiritual realm. Let's never make the mistake of doing that. Because like I said, Paul understood this spiritual battle. That's why he says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not in the natural. Paul understands what it means to put on the full armor of God. How can we not be ready for battle and put on the armor of God as we wake up every day? You think the devil's gonna leave you alone? No. But we don't wanna talk about it because we think it's all Lord of the Rings and all these fantasy. No. A spiritual battle is a real battle. Amen. Put on the full armor of God. You know, Paul puts on the armor of God basically every day. He battles, yes, not only in the spiritual realm, but he battles defending what the truth of the gospel that he has preached and now these people are coming along and corrupting it. Please be aware of that, church. not I don't know how many of us wake up in the morning and realize, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying overemphasize this and make everything spiritualize, every experience. But when Paul says put on the armor of God, there's a reason he's saying that. Because he knows there's a battle in another realm that we don't see. And we need to wake up in the morning and realize that there is an enemy who's going to try his best to throw us off course what God has called us to. And so be prepared. Anyway, Paul here is defending the true gospel that he has preached. and, And you ask, but why is he so passionate about this? Why is he passionate? Why, why does he care so much? And you get a glimpse of his pastoral heart, really, in chapter 2. Chapter 2. And let, let's just read chapter 2, 1 through 10, and then I'll come back again. Chapter 2, verse, verse 1. Then after 14 years, Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along... Also, and that's important uh, for his main argument, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them. Please understand, Paul is just, remember, he's really charged up here. We did not give in to them for one moment so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you. Verse 6, as for those who were held in high esteem, Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Amen. Thank God for that. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, Those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized, I love this verse, when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles as they do to the circumcised. All they asked, verse 10, all they asked was to continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. And so you ask the question, why is Paul so passionate about this? Why does he care so much? And you see, like I said, his, his pastoral heart right here in verse 5. I did not give or we did not give into it for one moment. And here's the reason. So that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you, Galatians, for you, the church. That's the reason he's fighting so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved. That's the reason he's not just rolling over and giving in. That's the reason he's so passionate about defending the gospel. And I've read this passage and read this book several times over the past month, couple of months actually. But as I read this portion again this past week, it just, jumped out to me and hit me and challenged me. And I think I found a new, if I can say it, a newfound appreciation for Paul. I mean, we read his story in Acts, but I think as you read this letter, as you read all the letters he wrote, the 13 that he wrote in the New Testament, you really see his pastoral heart and his calling too. We know his story from the book of Acts. But you see his pastoral heart and you got to understand Paul understood his calling, not just as a preacher of the gospel, but also a defender of the gospel for the sake of the church. And you find that throughout his, throughout his writing, I mean, if you know Galatians and uh, almost most scholars agree that this is the first letter he wrote. Okay, and what's he doing in Galatians? What's he doing? Defending the gospel. You go through every single letter, and I've, I can give you a list later. He goes through every single letter, and he's doing the same thing throughout, defending the gospel, right at the beginning of his ministry here, as he's writing to the Galatians. Let's think about it. The very first time he picks up his pen, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes to defend the truth of the gospel. The gospel is revealed by Christ. Through his apostles, yes, but also through Paul himself, the one true gospel. You see that in Galatians, the first book, and if you have to go all the way to his last book, which most scholars believe is 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is passing on the responsibility to Timothy, and he says what? For the gospel again, for its preaching, protection, preservation. He says in, first, um, in 2 Timothy 1.11, so I don't have to turn there, but he says, The gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer. Because he was appointed as a preacher, teacher, apostle. For this reason I also suffered these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And then now see what he says right at the end of his life to Timothy, verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern for sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, he says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Right from the beginning first letter to his last letter, you see his passion for the truth to be preserved. The truth of the gospel. That's his biggest concern. And I think as a pastor and a preacher, that is what our calling is. To proclaim but also protect the one true gospel. That should be, needs to be the heart of of a pastor. Why? Why? So that the gospel is preserved. The gospel is preserved for you, the church. And he says, you know, I just have this newfound appreciation for Paul. He says, for this reason I also suffered. Because he was called to protect this gospel. For this reason I also suffered. But I am not ashamed of it. Everything Paul wrote was about the gospel. It was his heart. It was his life, basically. If you read Romans, he says what? I have to preach the gospel. Why? Because it is, excuse me, because it is the power of God unto salvation. That's why he's got to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says. In Corinthians, what he says, man, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I mean, I preach who? Christ and Christ crucified. That's it. That's the gospel. And you read through Paul and you... You understand that out of all the apostles and maybe all the preachers ever to have lived. I don't think anyone was more intent and driven by guarding. Driven to guard the gospel like Paul was. Guarding the accuracy of the gospel. Guarding the clarity of the gospel. Guarding the priority of the gospel. It was always about the gospel. And he was faithful to it to the very end. To his very end. And you see that in in 2 Timothy. You know, his last words before he kind of signs off and he knows he's in prison all alone. His head is going to be chopped pretty soon. Chopped off pretty soon. And what does he say right at the end? He says, you know what? I'm being poured out. But he says what? The time of my departure has come, but I have fought the good fight. Finished the race. I have kept the Faith. Amen. I have kept the faith. It wasn't easy. It was a battle for him. Keeping the faith, preserving the gospel, preaching the gospel wasn't easy. You read Corinthians. What does he says? I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Why? Because he was preaching and protecting the gospel. Prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I'd received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night uh, And a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Why? Because he is passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ and preserving the one true gospel. Preserving the one true gospel. I mean, if you were to ask him, I mean, look at him, like, Paul, your friends, you're all alone here. You're in prison and you're going to be losing your head pretty soon. How successful do you think you really are? Was it worth it? Beyond a doubt, I think he'd say, yes, for me to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. Gain. Sitting there thinking, how many pastors do we know or do I know that have that same kind of passion that Paul has? And challenged me, and now please. Please. Don't sit there and say, great, that's a message for the pastors. No, we are called to preserve the gospel of Christ. We are called. It's the same calling to preserve, to proclaim, to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's never add or take away from what God says. Again, this is not just for us pastors. Realize your calling as much as God called Paul. He calls us to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's jump back. Sorry, I had to digress. But you need to understand Paul's passion. But we need to understand our call too. Yeah. Amen. Of course, Paul, again, jumping back to Galatians 2. Paul is talking about salvation it's through Christ and Christ alone. But you have these people who are coming in, these agitators, who are saying, no, it's Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised and follow the Jewish laws. I mean, that, and what does that tell us? That tells us that these false teachers definitely had, or these agitators, were definitely of Jewish origin. If you read chapter 1 and chapter 2, he uses the word Uh, Jerusalem several times, which seems to suggest, again, these false teachers, yes, the Jews, and they're coming from Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem important? Because that's where the apostles were, and that's where these apostles, the original apostles, were doing all their teaching, and these false teachers, Jews coming from Jerusalem, these agitators are implying that they have the backing of these apostles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So there is that picture. Paul is preaching a gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles have got saved. But once he leaves, these other people are coming in. These Jewish Christians come along. And the church doesn't know much better, you know. They welcome these guys in from Jerusalem because they're from Jerusalem. They're from, you know, from the original apostles. And they welcome him. Welcome them in. But what do they have to say? That Paul is not really an apostle. He does not have the authority. He's not an apostle. He's not from Jerusalem. He doesn't have the authority. Again, for them, you got to realize Christianity is not a separate religion. For them, it's just a continuation of Judaism, you know. Like I said last week, Jesus is their Jewish Messiah. If you want to come to him, you've got to follow what we've been doing all this time. That's what they're trying to say. But Paul is having none of it. And he, yeah, he's totally mad at them for it. But it's kind of funny because Paul uses their argument to build proof for his own point. What is their argument? You know, Paul's not, he's not from Jerusalem. He's not one of the apostles. What they see as a disadvantage, Paul uses as a strength. They say Paul has no authority to preach the gospel because he hasn't been taught by the apostles in Jerusalem. And Paul turns around and he says, that's exactly my point. This gospel is not from man, it's from God. Why do I need the people from Jerusalem? That's what he's trying to say to them. I only hung around with those guys 15 years, fifteen days, right? That's all I did, just to get to know them. I didn't get this gospel, it's pretty obvious. Paul has encountered these guys before, because the issue comes up again, as we read earlier. This issue is coming up, and I think it dogged Paul wherever he went, basically. He would preached the gospel and these Judaizers would come in and try and corrupt what he had said. But Paul is pretty secure, you know, when he talks about keep preaching the gospel. But he ends up going, like we read in the first verse, he ends up going to Jerusalem, not because he wanted to, but because the Holy Spirit prompted him through Revelation, it says. After 14 years of preaching the gospel. So realize what he's saying. This gospel I didn't get from man. I've been preaching it for 14 years. But now there's this issue that's come up. And I, was not, I wasn't really planning to go to Jerusalem to address this issue. But the Holy Spirit quickened my heart in some way. And I went there now because the Holy Spirit. I had no intention of doing that. But the Holy Spirit through revelation. And that's why I went there to, to talk to the apostles. This time when he goes up, it says he goes up with Barnabas and they take Titus With them, And this is important because Titus is a Greek Titus is a Greek, a Gentile if you want to do it And for Paul he's the test case If you want to say he's the evidence Titus is the evidence of the transforming power of the gospel in a Gentile's life And so they're bringing Titus, here it is, here's a Gentile Whose life has been transformed by the gospel of Christ That's the whole purpose, he's going there I want to point out a few things, and I know I started with it last week. You see Paul's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You see Paul's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, just as Peter in Acts chapter 10, he wasn't planning to go somewhere, and then he has this vision, and he says, no, I can't do that, and they says, no, you got to do it. And then this man comes knocking on the door, and he goes to Cornelius' house. That's the kind of vision I'm thinking about. Paul, he's like, man, I'm preaching the gospel. I know what I'm called to. I know that revelation I had in me. I know what I'm doing. I don't want to go. I don't plan to go. I don't want to answer these silly people, basically. But then there's this prompting in the Holy Spirit and this revelation, and he is obedient to that prompting. Obedient to that prompting, even though he had no intentions of going there. This passage you also see. Paul's desire to preserve the unity the unity of if I can say the unity within the body of Christ Please understand Paul was never about you do your thing I'll do my own thing here You know you apostles there and I'm here you just you you have your way of doing stuff I have my way of doing stuff I think we have a little too much of that in In the body of Christ. You know you got that. And I got this. And that's it. Paul wasn't about that at all. It was never about doing his own thing. He was never like I said. This lone ranger on his own mission. It was always about saving the lost. Preaching the gospel. Saving the lost. Preaching the gospel. Saving the lost. If you want to say it. This way, he was about saving as many people as he could. But he was about everybody responsible for saving as many people as they could. Preaching the gospel. He wasn't concerned about just him. And you see that reflected three times in that passage. You see that whole idea that he's he's, he's all about saving people, as many people as they could. Not just him, as they could. In verse 7, he recognized, I was preaching to the uncircumcised, they were preaching to the circumcised. Why? So that people will be saved. Verse 8, for God who was at work at me as an, um, in, in Peter's life as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me being an apostle to the Gentiles. Again, verse 9, the same thing again. They should, uh, that we should go to the Gentiles, to the, uh, but, and they were going to the circumcised. It was never a point of contention for him. It's however we can do this, let's get as many people as we can saved. Yeah, amen. That's what it was. That's what he's trying to say here again and again. It was never a competition to who is going to get the largest church and the biggest group of people to follow. Yeah, right. We all know about followers and influencers right now on social media. It's all about the number of likes we can get. It's not about that. To Paul, it's nothing. It's all about saving as many people as we can save. And I can't do it alone. Let's do it together. Yes, amen. It's re- I mean, it just, it just comes straight out at you, you know. And you realize the disciples too. They're not about, you know, we got this here. You just leave us alone. Leave our own people. You know, don't come and, you know, poach our sheep or whatever. No. It's not about that for them either. For them, it's all about the gospel being preached, the one true gospel being preached, and the kingdom of God being established by the salvation of many people. That's it. That's what we need to be about too. Saving as many people as we can through the preaching of the gospel. It's not, and never about building our own kingdoms, church. It's about building the kingdom of God. Building the kingdom of God. And, you know, we see this Peter says, hey, we're going to preach to the Gospels. We bless you, go preach to the Gentiles. It wasn't about stay away from us. It's foolishness to think that Paul never preached to the Jews again because the first thing he did when he went into a city is what? He went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So it wasn't like Peter saying, hey, I got this. You you know, you just take care of that. No, it's divide and conquer if you want to put it that way. Let's get as many as we can. That's what he's trying to say here. And I really... I really wish we had more leaders in the church and churches in general who would get the bigger picture because Paul and the disciples got the bigger picture. I mean, it's, I have been in meetings, even in our own meetings within our own denominations sometimes where it becomes all about us and not about the gospel of Christ and the salvation of people. It's never, it's never, never, never about us. It's about the gospel and people being saved. It was never about Paul, you know, putting down people so that he looked good. No, it was about salvation for people. You know, And there are preachers who are way better than me, but I don't pull them down so that I look good. I do my part. They do their part so that souls are saved. The kingdom of God is established. I rejoice because lives are being saved. That's what it is. You know, just because I think I can do a better job than someone else, I don't just shut them down, push them aside and like, hey, let me do it. And I can do it better than you. It's not the attitude I have either. You know, some people, you know, if you've got to do it right, you've got to do it yourself. No. Not when it comes to the gospel of Christ. How arrogant is it to think that only you can save someone's life by what you have to say and what you have to do. Just because you can do it better than them. No. It's the gospel. You know, it's my ministry. No, it's not. It's the gospel. It's not about us. It's about His kingdom, His glory. Building the kingdom of God. And that's what Paul is about. And you see that here reflected here. They didn't have any conflict. It was all about unity in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. You also see here in verse 2, his humility. Verse 2 is kind of really interesting. It's a really interesting verse and a hard verse to translate. Actually, I was going through it several times. Paul never pretended. You see his humility here because you see Paul never pretended to know it all. Never pretended to know it all. He went in there with his, into his meeting with these, with these Jerusalem, with the apostle and the elders there. He went it with humility. He goes to Jerusalem to present, to preserve, and to protect the one true gospel. Yes, yes he could have easily said, you know, Jesus gave me this revelation. That's it. I don't care about anything else. No, but he goes in there again, preserving this unity. He could have easily said, Jesus taught me everything. I don't need any more instruction. No. If you read that verse carefully, he isn't going there all hearty and all arrogant. He's not, I mean, yes, he's going there to defend himself, but he's not crazy about it. Because it says what? It's a very interesting sent- sentence. He says, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. And this is the, the, the part. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. It's kind of really interesting here. Because Paul doesn't doubt his salvation one bit. He doesn't doubt his calling one bit. He doesn't doubt the gospel that he has been preaching one bit. But he's also humble enough to say, I want to make sure I was running and not running in vain. He did not pretend He had it all together. Even though he was sure about his salvation. Sure about his calling. Sure about the gospel. He did not pretend to have it all together. Because he knew he was a sinner. And a fallen man. And could make mistakes too. That's why he says. He goes there in private. To make sure. That he wasn't running in vain. I think that. Also, we need to acknowledge that there is a possibility that we won't get it right every time. If it didn't, Paul couldn't get it right every time either. I mean, you may know God's will, but sometimes because we have fallen, we may do it the wrong way. We may do God's will our way. We need to recognize that. Paul knew God's will. He knew the gospel. He was sure about his salvation, but he was humble enough to know that he wouldn't get it right every time. That's why he surrounded. Or he went to ask these people. Esteemed leaders, like it says. just make sure you have people in your life who will be honest with you. Who will be honest with you. Now, I had a situation, and I'll share. I can share this now. This person, you know, you understand, he says... When Paul says freedom, and he gets that theme so much, you know, he talks about this a lot, actually. He says, person in church who just wanted to wave flags in in the church, and now again, I'm not not saying I'm against that or anything. But this person is just free, he just felt the spirit was leading him to worship with flags and everything else, and he'd sit there and wave flags, and I had this new family come in church, and he about knocked them in the head, and his kids. Luckily, I had built enough of a relationship with this newcomer that he told me, says, I don't know what that was, Pastor said, but it distracted me from, I couldn't see the words on the screen, and, you know, he just, I don't know, my kids were ducking every time the guy would wave his flag, and he was laughing about it, but we had established enough of a relationship that he could come and talk to me about it. And so I went to the guy later, and I says, hey, you know, I know this is God's will, but Can you do it at the back of the church instead of right in front so people won't be distracted? And he got so mad with me. And then I asked him, if you're doing it, are you doing it for man or are you doing it for God? He said, for God. I said, then can God see you at the back of the church? And he just looked at me mad. Can God look at, you're doing it for God, right? Why are you coming up near in front? Do it at the back. If it's worship to God, do it at the back. God can see you at the back. And he got so mad and he said, and I won't forget what he said, that person just needs to grow up and know what it is to enjoy freedom in Christ. I was like, no, you need to grow up and understand. Your freedom cannot be a stumbling block for someone worshiping God. Amen. Don't use freedom to, or abuse your freedom. And he talks, he gets into this pretty soon right here. Sorry, that was just a thing. But please never, never, ever say that. That person just needs to grow up and mature in the Lord and understand what's happening here. no. Do not use, and Paul says it in Galatians 2, do not use your freedom as a stumbling block. He says that in Romans. He says in Corinthians, don't let your freedom be a stumbling block from someone else coming to God. Then you're not doing it for God, you're doing it for you. Because the Spirit of the Lord would never stop someone from worshipping Him in spirit and truth. Sorry. Sorry. Verse 2, that's what he talks about, you know, going with this humility and you see it there. Verses 3, 4, and 5 are kind of really interesting. Again, the Greek, it's like kind of shoved into the passage when it really doesn't belong there almost. You can easily go, but it's kind of, it's it's there and it's inspired by God. Verse 3, it says, yet not even Titus, not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was Greek. Verse 4, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Verse 5, this is, I love this verse. We did not give into them for one moment so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you. Again, why is he taking Titus? Because he's the test case. Here's a Gentile who's been saved by the grace of God and that's it. But what's happening? People... And the word is sneaking in. People are sneaking in, infiltrating us, and sneaking in. And why are they sneaking in? To spy out the freedom and make we have in Christ, and to make us slaves. To spy out the freedom we have in Christ, and to make us slaves. It's interesting use of words here, because remember when is the last time he used this word slave? In chapter one, verse uh, verse ten, he says, "What I am a slave or a servant of." Jesus Christ, it's kind of really, and he picks up this whole theme of of slave, actually turn real quick to uh, Galatians chapter 4, right in the beginning, he picks up this whole idea of freedom and slave and everything else, the issue, verse 1, he says, you know, uh, what I'm saying to you is long, heir is underage, he is no different from a Slave. You can drop down some more to verse 8. He uses the word again. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves. You go back to all the way down. He talks about Hagar and Sarah. He talks about being a slave. Come to verse 5. The topic says what? Freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And so we'll pick up this theme that he's starting out right here. Because what these people are doing is they're spying out the freedom this person has in Christ, these people have in Christ, and these false teachers were making them slaves to Jewish traditions again. Now let me say this as I'm winding up. For Paul, for Paul, true freedom means being a slave of Jesus Christ. I mean, if that isn't an oxymoron or a contradiction, I don't know what it is. Hear me out here. You are free. You are free to be a slave of Jesus Christ. Are chew on that. Hallelujah. Wrestle with that. You are free to be a slave of Jesus Christ. There will always be the freedom that the world offers You know, when you are free to do whatever you want to, but I promise you that is not real freedom. I've spoken to many people and especially young people who are so burnt out by the rules in church. And this, you know, they've told me honestly, this Christian living thing and being a a disciple is too restrictive for me. You know, I want the freedom to do my own thing. And I've said the same thing to them and I've said it many way, many times. You may walk away from Christ, you can walk away from the gospel, you can walk away from the faith, but don't fool yourself into thinking that you are finally free. No, you're just switching masters. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's all you are doing. You're only switching masters. You are free to be a slave of Jesus Christ. Think about that seriously. And then make the decision whether you really want to follow him or not. It says what these guys were doing. And one more thing. There will always be people who will come. You will come across who will be jealous of the freedom you have in Christ. And try their best to drag you back into slavery. And I'm going beyond what just the strict test right here. The text is saying. be careful and watch for people and like they they just sneak into your life jealous of the freedom you have in Christ and all they want to do is drag you back into the slavery, the bondage that you have got out from watch your back I guess verse 5, that's verse 4, he says they've come into church snuck into the church to have the freedom we have in Christ to make us slaves again verse 5, he says but we again, his passion, we did not give into them for a moment. For a moment. And again, interesting uh, word there. Because in the Greek, the literal translation is, is for an hour. You know, but in English, it doesn't make sense. We always say, hey, well, you know, we didn't give into that even for a second. We use the word second or you know, a minute. or you know, We use that phrase. But we wouldn't say, oh, I didn't give into them for an hour. That doesn't sound right in English. You know, so you see why, why they changed it to a moment there. Remember, Paul is being aggressive here because he knows what is at stake. Paul is being aggressive and not giving in even for a moment because again, it's coming back to the whole point because he knows what it means to put on the armor of God and do battle every day. He's prepared. He isn't going to give into it even one more minute. I told you this challenged me as a pastor but it needs to challenge us all too. We cannot give into it for a moment. Give into the other gospels that are preaching out that are preached. Other just because it sounds good, don't give in to that gospel. Not for one minute. When it comes to the gospel and the truth of God, do not give in to anything else. Please do not compromise what God says in His Word. If I can be honest, for I think one of my biggest burdens as a pastor is to preserve the word of God for you. Now, I may not get it right and I definitely won't get it right every time. Not every decision I make will make everybody happy. I know that. But if there's one thing I know I can do and what I will strive to do is stay true to dividing the word of God. When Brother Sylvester asked me that question right the first time we went out for dinner while I was with the board. And he asked me, what is it? I said, I'm passionate about the Word of God. Mm -hmm. That's my commitment to preserve the Word of God for you so that you can take the Word of God to the world out there and see souls being saved for eternity. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Let the word of God be the message, church. I'll just continue later. Not the experience we have. Let the word, let the gospel be what we preach. Let the word be what we preach. Let the word of God be the message. And I'll be honest, in our tradition especially, we, we have this propensity to sensationalize experience. Now, I'm not going to say we can't have any experience with God, but it is nothing when it compares to rightly dividing and studying Your responsibility for studying the word of God. Do not allow experience to trump your study in the word of God. Because we are called to protect, proclaim, and preserve that gospel. Father God, we thank you once again. Thank you for the gospel that that we encountered on our own way on that road God, to Damascus. The gospel that transformed our lives. I pray that we will stay true, Lord. To that true gospel, God. That true gospel. We won't give into it just because it sounds right. We won't give into other things, Lord. But we will stand firm, stand steadfast in holding on to the truth, preaching, proclaiming, protecting, preserving the gospel for the people around us. Preserving the gospel for those who come after us, for our children and those around us, the people we influence God. We will give them the true, one true gospel, Lord. Give us that same passion that Paul has, God. A passion for your truth. Preserve in us, God, the gospel that has been preached, that we have accepted. And I pray you challenge us, Lord, to live it out every day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Amen.